This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> oh! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. He's joined by Michael Shapiro of SI Now, covers the Rockets. How you doing, man? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. It's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting week for the Rockets. There has been basketball that's been played, and we are here to talk about it. Before we get into that, I want to mention right off the top that this podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Untuck It. And now let's get into some Rockets news. So Eric Gordon returned this week from his right knee injury. As a reminder, six weeks ago, he got arthroscopic surgeries, which basically means he got his knee drained, and he is back. He's averaging 16 points per game, 52.6% shooting from the field, and 58.3% shooting from three point from the three-point range. He looks explosive. He looks um, confident. He looks a lot better than the Eric Gordon we saw before this injury. Now, I want to be careful when I'm, t- when I'm talking about this because I don't think any of us knew originally that he was hurt. And I don't think anyone was actually speculating it at the time. Like it was, it came as a complete surprise. And I think anyone who says that they saw uh, the signs of Eric Gordon being kind of unexplosive or, you know, weak or whatever, like, I don't think anybody saw that. Like it came out as, it came as a surprise, but he does look really good right now. What do you what do you think of those past two games? Yeah, I mean, I think he really looks largely like the Eric Gordon uh, that we saw last year, a guy who can really space the floor, uh, can really put it on the deck and make some plays. And he's not really fully at his athletic best yet, uh, but the guy who we saw the past two games is going to be a big offensive asset for the Rockets. Uh, and I think that Rockets fans, frankly, should be pretty, pretty optimistic uh, of course, it was just two games, but he looks really good. Uh, I especially thought last night against Denver. Yeah, and he's on a minutes restriction right now. Uh, he's only playing 25 minutes per game uh, per Mike D'Antoni's uh, request, and it, that's probably going to be ramped up to around 30. And it looks like the Rockets have rejuggered their rotation, so it's going to be Austin Rivers is going to come off the bench like fourth. I guess he's going to be like the fourth person off the bench before he was pretty up there, but now it's going to be Eric Gordon to first come off the bench, then Ben McLemore, then Isaiah Harnstein, and then Austin Rivers. And it looks like the plan right now is for the Rockets to play two of Eric Gordon, James Harden, and and Russell Westbrook on the floor at the same time, at all times. And... 
it looked like last night from Den- from the Denver game that Mike D'Antoni was really quick to pull Eric every time teams, uh, every time the Nuggets tried to trap Harden, and any time it was semi effective, not not right away when they started trapping, but when it started to get kind of stagnant offensively, he would pull Eric Gordon off the bench, and Eric Gordon would help add a different dynamic and a, a spacing element that they didn't have before. Now, when, now when you look at the Rockets, they have sneaky collection of quality shooters Daniel House is shooting like 38% from three Ben McLemore is shooting like 37% from three Eric Gordon's a career 37.5% three-point shooter like and you, you you look at obviously James Harden's 37% so like you look at the floor spacing it looks much cleaner now that Eric Gordon's returned and it's harder for teams to trap when it's like that yeah, I think a key thing is, you know, we of course talk about guys that can space the floor, and those are guys like House and Macklemore. But Gordon, I think, literally spaces the floor, and that he can pull out from 25, 27 feet. Uh, not only can he do that, he can really make plays rolling downhill off the trap. You know, the Rockets have seemed kind of unconcerned uh, by the trap over the past few weeks, saying that we're getting open shots, we like the shots we get. And their argument, I think, is a lot more convincing when Gordon is in there. And they really just have an array of guys who can both knock down shots and make plays in space. Uh, and it just seems like the continuous trapping, you know, if you just are out of game, the Rockets are going to get enough open shots to kind of get rolling as an offense, uh, at least of late. Yeah, here's Mike D'Antoni actually talking about the traps and as it relates to Eric Gordon and how he impacts things. Do you believe Eric Gordon's return adds a dynamic to your offense when teams trap? Well, should. I mean, definitely should. But I think the biggest thing is he's really going up that second unit with James off the floor and we have another dynamic score on the floor. Uh, and that'll help. At the end of the game, we'll have to see. He's not there yet. Uh, but then at the end of the game, will they be able to trap him with Russ and, and Eric on the floor? We'll have to wait and see about that. All right, that was Mike D'Antoni. As you can see there, uh, the Rockets have thought about Eric Gordon as an, an, kind of an elixir to these traps like they, they've thought about this for a while and it, it, it it's just harder to, to defend I mean like, like the Rockets when they go five when they go four out and uh even with Russell Westbrook on the floor and they have three out they have PJ Tucker at center like you're you're basically ha- having to play four on three which is much easier especially if when Russell Westbrook catches the ball if he just goes if, if he's like right away like like and that's what they've been doing as of late that's what Westbrook's been doing as of late he's not cutting per se but he's as soon as he catches he's bouncing and he's he's going to the rim like it's it's so hard to defend especially when defenses are already collapsed like that and the floor is already spaced so well um it's just like the Rockets shot like 40 something percent from three last night like like that that's that's a that that's just what happens when teams do that. Like that's there's it's not it's not a coincidence that they shoot such a high percentage because they're they're just getting so many uncontested looks from beyond the arc. Yeah, I mean Westbrook, I think in the past, you know, even the past couple of weeks has really just been knifing towards the rim and attacking the basket just so aggressively that defenses are forced to collapse just by the very nature of a player like that driving to the rim and the amount of shots that House. Macklemore, uh, and especially P.J. Tucker in the corner, it seems like P.J. Tucker is just getting just a slate of wide-open threes every single game. Uh, and that's the thing. When Westbrook is attacking quickly, rolling downhill with some real aggression, it really opens up everything uh, for Houston. Earlier, I think, in kind of this trapping part of the season, he was really hesitant. Uh, the first matchup against Denver, I think, is a good example in which he just 
kind of pause near the three-point line and would either jack up a three uh, or not really know what to do. Now that he's attacking downhill so quickly, he's a big, big asset for the Rockets. Uh, and Gordon, as you said, will only give them more space to attack. Yeah, the the quick movement is really an asset there. Like you can't be hesitant when you catch the ball off a hardened pass like that. You have to go right away because you don't get opportunities like that, right? And like it's very awkward. Like I I completely understand. Like just catching the ball and having a wide open around, like just being completely wide open like that. That's just awkward. That's just it's, it's not you. The NBA players aren't used to that. They're used to having a, a body within two or three feet of them. And the fact that the, the nearest defender is like six feet, sometimes it's eight feet away from them. Like that, that's, that's uncomfortable. That's different. But the Rockets have gotten used to it. Here's Mike D'Antoni talking about the traps uh, after the game. Mike, why do you think in the first half you guys were able to handle the doubles on Harden so well? Well, probably we've seen it a thousand times every game. Um, guys making some shots, uh, getting more comfortable with it. Um, you know, Russell was really good. And, you know, it shouldn't work in theory if you just double him and then throw the Russell's 4 1 3, which score every time. And BJ's getting that little lob now where he gets in the middle sometimes and he's making plays. So, you know, I, just, I think they're getting better at it. Uh, we're, we're not surprised by it. Um, we don't rush. Um, you know, you see something that's kind of odd. That was a, you know, that's mouth not odd, so should be able to all right, that was Mike D'Antoni. Um, see, see, yeah, like they're they're just they're just really comfortable with it now, and uh, I think it's actually a benefit for the Rockets that they got to see the traps before the playoffs because they're not going to be surprised by it anymore. They know it's coming. Like they know it's a, it's a way that teams are going to potentially defend them now. Whether or not they hit shots, like that's obviously a question mark. We can't predict that. That's that's on the Rockets. Um, but they know what to do, at least. And whether or not they execute, whether or not the shots drop, whether or not they take advantage of uh, the, of the open open shots, that's that's to be determined. But they know what to do, and I think that's a huge asset because now they have all this film from from all these teams that have been trapping for the past like two months. Like they they know exactly what what's coming for them. Let me ask you a question: Do you think that they will see? consistent traps in the postseason? Do you think teams will really dial that up against Harden, or do you think they'll kind of revert to more of a one-on-one defense against you know, Harden and the Rockets? I'll ask you a question. If you were if you were an opposing team, wouldn't you do it? Like, why wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. I think you gotta. I, th- I think you're really just asking for for James Harden to drop, as Mike Gantoni said yesterday, you know, 40 or 50 points. Um, you know, it just seems like any opportunity he gets where he's not facing consistent uh, you know, double coverage, he's going to erupt for a lot of points. Uh, and you just see that teams do will have some success here and there in instituting the trap, especially on a higher night perhaps, or if a team that really mixes up their kind of doubles very effectively. Um, but I think if you single cover him, as Mike Mullen said last night, like you're just asking for certain death. He'll, he'll pour enough points on you to kind of put you out of it. I think no one's just going to let Harden go off for 50 points in a playoff game. That doesn't really make much sense to me. They're going to need to beat the double to win the West, I think. Yeah, and I, and I mean, like that's kind of what NBA defense is, right? Picking the best out of a bunch of bad options, right? Because because the NBA is just so lenient towards offense. Like the offense is going to win nine times out of ten, but if you can prevent it from happening and maybe pre- have it seven times out of ten, like that's what really what you want in the postseason. And like anything you can do to kind of 
you know, surprise or like throw off your opponent for spurts. Like that's all you're really asking for. Like even if you can, if you can get the Rockets dazed for like two possessions, like that's that's a plus because like, the possessions slow down the postseason. And if you can get, take away two possessions from the Rockets' offense, like that's that's all you can ask for. That, that that's all you want. And I, I don't think you may. I don't think you'll see it necessarily buzzer to buzzer, but I think you'll see it like maybe a team is struggling and like the Rockets are like really rolling offensively. I think you'll see a trap come in, in moments like that. And it, it may not last till the end of the game, but it'll, it'll be something that teams use to come back into games. I think that you'll see it a lot at end of games. I agree that probably you won't see 48 minutes because teams won't want to let the rocket shooters get in such a rhythm. But I think when you roll into the last eight, six minutes of a game, if you know, Harden's playing the Clippers, for example, and he's really rolling I kind of think that they would send two defenders at him and try to make other players beat them. And I think that is kind of where Russell Westbrook's kind of late-game decision-making, his shot-making as a player, is going to be just absolutely fascinating. You know, if Harden is taken out of the game by double teams, you know, in second round, third round of the playoffs, how will Russell Westbrook respond? I think that's kind of the question that looms over the season, so to speak. Yeah, and it kind of also is like a way to force easy turnovers, right? Like if you do it fast yeah. enough, right? Like if especially if you if you're talking about the Clippers, I mean, if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are coming at you with like ten feet long arms, like like that's that's just hard. <laughs> like that's just hard to find a clear area to pass through, and that that's gonna be on Harden. Like he has to be really patient and uh, and really smart in how he attacks. I thought the way he did it with Denver last night was really really sharp. Like they the Rockets knew this, this was coming. Like they they knew. I mean they knew Denver was gonna do it. Obviously they did in the last game. Uh, I I think last night they came into there like really focused. Like they obviously that was a really important game. Like that's. In terms of the standings, the Denver is a team that's uh, that's ahead of the Rockets right now, and like that tiebreak, that tiebreaker could come back to be really important if if records are really close towards the end of the season. So the, obviously that game's already important as it is, and they just want to be prepared for that kind of stuff. And I I, I think I I think that. I think the way Harden chose to re- really back down defenses and then kind of fi- like do you remember that last possession before halftime where I think Daniel yeah. House got an open three like Harden was basically posting up at the three-point line like begging for the second trapper to come and when it came he f- he made the quick decision early and he found like that that led to a Daniel House three-pointer and like that that's kind of what you want Harden to do right like when he rushes when he's tired that's when he, when the poor decisions are made, and that's why I think teams are going to try this in the postseason. Uh, th- the problem is you're you're not going to get back to backs in the postseason. You're not going to get three games at five nights. Right. You're 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 going to get a rested Rockets team. So the Rockets have to be patient in how they attack these uh, double teams, and they'll have the opportunity to do so because they're not they're not jet lagged. They're not uh, they're not trying to adjust to a new time zone. They're they're going to be. Uh, rested every night. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be a day off between playoff games. So I I think they'll be more they'll be better suited to attack it, and obviously teams will be better suited to implement it because they'll have so much film to use. Yeah, that Harden pass at the end of the first half was incredibly impressive. You know, not just for the decision making, but he really swung that from about you know 28 feet from the basket to the opposite side corner, uh, and it was pretty on point. Just the skill he has to be able to make that pass so far is really really pretty transcendent. And you know, you talk about him making the right play. Uh, the guy scored 35 points on just 17 shots. I mean, that's just an incredibly efficient night. He left four points on the board with free throws. I mean, he just was 
really so in control of the entire game, I felt like. He really was a, a master of the chessboard, so to speak, always placing himself, Russell Westbrook, the rocket shooters in places to make big plays. Uh, same with Isaiah Hartenstein and Clint Capella. You know, it seemed like it was just, they had so many easy lob and dunk opportunities because Harden and Westbrook were creating. It was really the Rockets' offense at its peak, uh, and I thought it was really, really impressive. Yeah, when he's playing at his own pace, like it, it's like he's like he's messing with people. Like it, it's just like like you can't do anything at that point, at that point, especially Denver. Like he's just roasted Denver over the years. Like the Rockets since Mike D'Antoni was hired, I think they're ten and one or eleven and one or something like that. And like the only loss was that last loss. Like they're just they just kill Denver. Like Denver has no option to guard him. Uh, that's that's one of their biggest weaknesses on the perimeter and. and when Harden just has that kind of patience when he's making those kinds of reads, like there's nothing you can do defensively. Um, one quick question on Harden: Are should we be worried about the toe sprain? Because I know he reaggravated that in the second quarter, or might have been the third quarter. Uh, he he went in for a layup, uh, and he he drove in hard, and look, he missed the layup obviously, and then he he went down. Look, he looked at his foot, and he was down on the floor for a few seconds, tried to walk it off. I think Eric Gordon was set to check in. He waved him off, played the rest of the game, and he looked fine, but. It's hard not to worry about it, right? Because he did miss a game, and Harden's never going to tell the media when when his when injuries reaggravate. Like that's that's just he's just famous for being really coy about that kind of stuff. And um, I don't know. Like, are, are you worried about it? You know, I thought it was pretty interesting that you know he was really lifting there, and I I was kind of worried. I actually put on my phone and started filming it. Uh, and then he waved off Gordon, and two plays later, it just seems like he was the same guy. Like, that's just how durable and tough he's been. It's kind of underrated. Uh, in terms of it being a worry, I think a minor one. I think it's the kind of thing where I'm of the mind that if a, a player plays 70 games, 74 games, sometimes that's better than him playing 80, right? You know, if, if Harden wants to take a night or two off, you know, on a night that makes sense over the next few weeks, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, but it's just really hard to tell whether it should be a concern or not. You know, I feel kind of uncomfortable diagnosing it just because he looked fine and he would have not said anything or really would ever say anything. So it's hard to speculate. I think, if anything, it's pretty minor. But if Harden wants to take a night off over the next couple of weeks, uh, that, I think, is a pretty smart move for the Rockets. Yeah, and the Rockets only have one game over their next seven seven days, so I'm sure, sure. He, he'll have plenty. Yeah, he'll have plenty of time to ice and and do recovery stuff. So like, there's they have that going for them. So the Rockets are fully healthy now. They it looks like they have all their key players ready to go right now, uh, and you know they might try to make a move here or there. But it looks like as far as the roster we're gonna see come postseason time, we're like ninety five percent of the way there, assuming that they try to make a move. Where where do you stand on them right now? Like what what kind of feel do you have on the state of the team? Do you feel like they're a confident tier one title contender? Are you are you there yet? Or do you still feel like in terms of the Western Conference, there are teams you would rather have? up ahead of them? I would phrase it as this. I don't see any reason why the Rockets can't win the West. I think that if you were asking me or most people to pick, I probably would choose one of the Los Angeles teams first, right? But I think the Rockets are in that tier. I don't think it's like the two LA teams and Houston's with everyone else. I, I think that we saw the Rockets, you know, it's one regular season game. I think they're probably ahead above Denver. Utah's really struggled. And this offense, if everyone stays healthy, the rest of the season could be the number one NBA's number one offense. 
Uh, I think that's certainly the case. They were number three without Eric Gordon. Um, we saw what they can do with him in the lineup. I think it's a pretty optimistic time to be a Rockets fan. Uh, the core of guys, we had a lot of question marks that performed well. Ben McLemore and Daniel House, despite some recent struggles, are shooting well. It seems like you know Isaiah Hartenstein and Chris Clemens might be actually rotation players after all. It's not a complete team. There could be a move to make, but I think as we roll into 2020, they're definitely in the in the top tier of Western Conference and, and overall title contenders, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually do put those two LA teams ahead of the Rockets. Like, I I think if I were to make tiers right now, I would it would be the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers in one tier by themselves, and I put the Rockets at the t- at the top of tier two. Like I think I'm willing to go there. Like I think I think there are three teams uh, ahead of the Rockets definitively, and I I think the I think uh, the Rockets after that are right there. Like I, I you know I, I put them right there with the Sixers. I put them right there with um with the Nuggets. I I think they're better than the Nuggets. I think they're better than the Sixers. But I think I think in terms of tearing off these teams, like I think they're definitely in that second tier because like defensively that's really where I have and I, I I really struggle to to come to grips with this team like I think offensively obviously they're going to be awesome again I, I think in a postseason setting there may be some issues with the floor spacing but I think they figured some of that stuff out uh defensively like I just and we'll talk about it pretty soon because we're going to do New Year's resolutions pretty soon on this podcast but defensively is it's it's where I'm I'm not ready to go all the way there yet yeah, and I think that's fair. I think a counter to that is you look at the standings, you look at the record, I think the Rockets have left a fair amount of wins on the board here and there. And, you know, if this team, for instance, was 26-8, and eight, we, we might be having a far different conversation uh, about the team. There are other defensive concerns, though I will say, you know, when they go into a playoff series and are playing their best five, uh, you know, and P.J. Tucker plays, you know, 41 minutes, you have an engaged Russell Westbrook and James Harden, you know, you see the Rockets play up to their competition, I think, is something that's really the most encouraging thing. You know, in a playoff series against the Clippers, you know, I probably would pick Los Angeles. I definitely can see that. But I feel like it is a series that could go six or seven. Yeah, and to their credit, they've played really well against the Clippers, right? Like, I don't want to dismiss that they, they won two out of the last three games they played against the Clippers. But... I mean, the postseason is just a different animal, and, and teams have time to game plan for you. And I and I just I really like the depth of that roster. I really like their defensive versatility a lot more than the Rockets. The Rockets are again 16th in defense. Like it's 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 hard to come to grips with that as a, as a, a tier one title contender. And and the Bucks don't even, don't even get me started on the Bucks. The Bucks are just so so good right now. Like it, it it would be a disservice for me not to put the Bucks in a tier ahead of the Rockets. Like like honestly, like they're just that much better than the rest of the NBA right. Now, um, and uh, yeah, and the late and the Lakers uh, obviously did a really good job uh, the first half of the NBA se- of the NBA season. Uh, they've they've had some bad losses here or there the past ten games. They're six and four out of the last ten games, but you still got to give them their due respect. They're they're awesome defensively. They're much better than I thought they would be this season. Uh, they're much better than a lot of people thought they would be this season. I, I think a lot of people kind of thought the Lakers, you know, their cast of characters were pretty questionable outside of. Obviously, their core, right? Like their core of LeBron, Anthony Davis, um, Danny Green. Like it, it got really murky after that, and and they did a pretty good job of assembling some cast off guys like Dwight Howard, Jared Dudley, uh, and they made a pretty good uh, roster for themselves. Obviously, there's still some weaknesses there, and it looks like they may pick up Darren Collison here pretty soon. But 
the I give the Lakers the, the tip of the cap for right now because I, I just the defensively again I, I trust their versatility a little bit more. Yeah, just as a, as a quick aside about the Lakers, it's kind of interesting just looking back at kind of the the preseason prognostication. It's, it's weird; it was so doom and gloom. You know, even as someone who was pretty optimistic about them, I I would kind of straddle the line. You know, I think this is kind of a four seed, a five seed, but it, it was very strange how how quickly they kind of got discounted from the top tier uh, early on, and how soon that's flipped. Well, I mean, a lot of this is LeBron, right? LeBron just looks completely different from where he was last year. Like, defensively, he's he's actually, I mean, excuse my French, he's actually giving a shit now, right? Like, he's he, like last season, he just completely checked out. And obviously, he still put up gaudy offensive numbers, but defensively, when he's when he's carrying that little, it's hard for uh, it's hard for us as analysts to to read his mind, to know that he still has this in him. Like it's it's like how do we know he can still defend like this and until he does it? Uh and he's obviously getting up there in age he turned thirty five last night. I mean it, it it's just it's just natural for us to believe that he may have taken a step back. We, we, we were we were obviously very wrong. He's still awesome. He's still a top five player in the NBA, and some could argue top three. Oh, yeah. he, he's 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 just he's just really good. He's just really good. Uh, yeah, but that was a big part of it. That was a big part of it. A lot of people thought LeBron took a step back. The the surrounding cast. You know, we're talking about guys like Ray John Rondo, Dwight Howard. Like these guys have not done much over the past few years to accompany uh, public trust. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it. But uh, they have played really well, and you have to give them the credit. They they they're just awesome defense. They're just really good. They're, and Anthony Davis uh, is, if not the leading candidate for defensive player of the year, he's he's second to Giannis. Like he's he's been that good this year. Yeah, eating people alive, man. Yeah. All right, Michael. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends at Untuck It. Ever seen Untuck Button Down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. Guys, you know how much I love Untuck It. I've tried other name brand stores like J. Crew, Banana Republic, Ralph Lauren, all that stuff. And the problem when I wear their shirts at the bottom is designed in such a way that it's like begging me to tuck it in. Like it flat out doesn't look good untucked. Like it's like begging you to wear a suit with it. And the problem is I don't want to wear a suit. I prefer business casual clothing. And the problem with all these other name brands is they're not designed to be worn business casual. Untuck it is. That's all the designers had in mind when they were making these shirts. Wear them untucked. That's why I love this brand. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. Let's talk about Isaiah Hardenstein because in terms of news items, this is something I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast. Isaiah Hardenstein cracked the rotation for the Rockets. 
Uh, it looks like my, uh, Mike D'Antoni is starting to gain some trust in him. It started when uh, Clint Capella took a couple of games off for the, because of that right heel contusion, and now he's back. And surprisingly, the the game that he returned, like Isaiah Hardenstein was the backup center. And when I asked Mike D'Antoni point, point blank, has Isaiah Hardenstein secured the backup center rotation? He said, yeah, for right now, he has secured that spot. So it looks like... Isaiah Hardenstein is going to be the backup center for the Houston Rockets this season. Whether or not that maintains, I don't know. My worry is that if the Rockets get someone at the trade deadline, like let's just say they trade for Markeith Morris, because that's a pretty popular name right now, right? Let's just say they trade for Markeith Morris from the Pistons and they have Markeith Morris. Like my worry is that I that gives D'Antoni excuse, an excuse to fade Isaiah out of the rotation because obviously he, t- he tends to trust vets uh, more than young players. But you do have to give Mike some credit because he has gotten a lot of crap for not playing young players. And I mean, if you look at if you look at their core six right now, their core six to eight players right now, you're, you're talking about Clint Capella, who was made a starter at age 22, uh, Daniel House, who was made a starter at age 26, uh, and Isaiah Harnstein, who cracked the rotation at age 21. Like, I mean, you have to give him credit. Like, when guys perform, he'll give you. He'll give you minutes. He'll give you time. And, and I, I think he gets a lot of crap for not trusting young guys. But the, Isaiah Hardenstein's a guy who took his minutes, ran with it, absolutely ran with it. I mean, he you never have to worry about Isaiah str- like struggling in terms of the effort end. Like, he always seems to hustle. Like, he obviously, amazing offensive rebounder, has a nose for the ball. Defensively, he, he tries. He's not, he's not like... He has a lot to grow on that end, but he he tries, and um, you know he, he may not he may not switch uh, as best as you know the Rockets may like him to. But the Rockets can play dro- a drop back scheme like they have with Clint Capella all season, and offensively, you know he may not finish against the best rim protectors, but I, I feel like his pick and roll finishing ability has really improved from the past couple of years. I mean he he's shown, I mean. He played really well in summer league. He played. Um, I mean, he's obviously done really well in Rio Grande Valley, and and the past couple of games, is he's showing his his pick and roll finishing ability against second units. He's playing well. Yeah, I mean, Hardenstein has been incredibly impressive. I think in three games, and uh, you know, he had double figures in back to back games. Now he's averaging you know nearly fifteen points. He's averaging over eleven boards in his last three games, and you know, his skill set offensively is very very impressive. He has a little bit of touch outside the restricted area. He runs really, really well. He has nimble feet uh, in the pick and roll. Uh, listen to this quote Mike D'Antoni had post-game for Isaiah Hartenstein. He said, offensively, he does things nobody can teach. He's quick off the ball, relentless on the board. Just his energy alone makes him valuable. I mean, that's pretty pretty big praise for a guy who just logged three consecutive really good games. I think that Mike was just, uh, as we were, I think, really impressed with Hartenstein's, you know, just athletic natural talent and ability. You know, he crashes the boards very well. He's always a put-back dunk candidate, uh, and he had a really, really nice one against the Nets on Saturday. Um, he just seems to be a lot nimbler, you know, more spry than Tyson Chandler, who I think is a great, great presence for the Rockets, uh, but might not just be as athletically inclined as he once was. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, old. It's okay. I get, yeah, it, it's it's, it's fine to say yeah. he's old, yeah. It's old, yeah. That's basically the way I put it. Um, I'm a big Tyson Chandler fan, but yeah, he is pretty old. Hardenstein, he just adds a real, real nice vertical spacing game to that backup unit like Clint Capella does with starters. And yeah, I think if he keeps playing like this, the Rockets have a really valuable piece that they didn't 
really expect to have, I think, going into the year. Yeah, and Isaiah is the one out of all the Rockets' young players that I, I just could not find myself to give up on because he tried so hard. Every time, every time he was on the floor, he tried. And like, I'm not sure if he's ready to contribute in a postseason setting because obviously that's really tough for young players. But I think in a regular season yeah. setting, can he, can he be the backup center? Yeah, I think he can. Like, I, I I thought this before the season. I still think it now. I think he can be the backup center. I, I think as of right now, I think he's probably their most able body uh, behind Clint Capella. And I again, like he just like the, the fact that he tries so hard is why it, it's hard to give up on him. Like. There are young players on this roster that when, like I, I have real questions about in terms of the effort end when they when they check in. Uh, Isaiah takes advantage of it every single time. He does, yeah, and I, and that's why he's yeah. earned a spot. Yeah, to your point about the the playoff setting, I think it's a pretty smart one. I think it is the reason that that most Rockets fans kind of agree that a backup, you know, five or a backup four uh, that can play a little small ball five is pretty important to the Rockets at the deadline. I still think they are going to hunt for a guy more experience, you know, Morris brother is someone that either of them, I think, does make sense. You know, Marcus Morris might have, uh, might be a little more t- difficult to obtain, although he is a better player. Um, but someone who can still space the floor, provide some rim protection, I think is a guy the Rockets are going to need to be able to make the finals like we talked about earlier. Yeah, so let's let's get to our New Year's resolutions because this actually ties pretty well into it. So did you write down some, some resolutions for the Rockets? Yeah, I, I got a few here. Okay. Let's, let's let's do this. I'll go first, and then we'll go to you. And then if we have any inter, if we have any that are the same, we'll just we'll just you know we'll just talk about it. It's fine. <laughs> Number one on my New Year's resolution. This, this is from a column that I wrote a couple of days ago. So I'm just I'm just stealing it, and I'm I'm, re, I'm re-saying it again. Improve defensively. I think that's that's got to be the, the Rockets' number one priority for the rest of 2020. Like in terms of title contenders, like 14 out of the last 15 NBA champions have been top 10 defenses, and the 15th is the 2018 Warriors, and they were 11th. So you have to be, you have have to be an elite defense to win an NBA championship. You just do. Like you may not have to be top five, but you have to get to top 10, if not like. On the borders of top ten, because if you're not even on the borders, like you're in real trouble. And the Rockets, uh, I'm really curious to see if Eric Gordon's return helps defensively for them. That's been a huge caveat for me when I talk about their defense and their and their contendership status. Like Eric Gordon, obviously, was someone who hasn't played. He's he's missed 21 games, and he's when he's healthy, he's pretty he's a pretty competent defender. And him taking away minutes from guys who are bad defenders like. Ben McLemore, Russell Westbrook, like I think that's pretty key. Uh, James Harden has stepped up this season defense. I, I think this is the best defense I've seen James Harden ever play, and I I, I do believe he's received some empty plaudits in the past in in regards to his defense. But I think this season it's for real. Like I think I think it, I think it's like he's played really really well defensively uh, in terms of like on a relative base, right? Like he's played he's played good. Well, you know he he has always been a good post defender, and that's something that everyone kind of. Uh, says so much that it's always become a joke almost, you know, that everyone makes sure to point it out. But there's not as many defensive lapses on, you know, the back end, winning guys cut behind the baseline. Just the relative effort is there every night, which I think is something you kind of highlighted. Yeah, that Miami game was a pre- pretty big turning point for me. Like, like, like that second half of the Miami game, where that, that that first quarter they were just getting embarrassed. Like, do you, do you remember they got out? They had, they allowed like forty something points in that first quarter, and then they completely turned it around the second half. And I thought James Harden's effort was a big part of it. 
And ever since then, he's been playing really well uh, defensively. But yeah, in terms in terms of the Rockets, yeah, they have to get they have to get to top ten. They just do. They have to, they to have any chance of the title this year. They have to get to top since two thousand and one. Uh, no team other than the twenty eighteen Warriors has had a top has won a championship without being top ten. And, and I think I think in order for the for me to take the Rockets seriously and for the Rockets to have any sort of chance in the Western Conference, especially this Western Conference, they need to be much better than they have been defensively. I think it's a good point. I agree. We'll see if they come close. Uh, one I got that is kind of related to that. Uh, do you think it's the most out of their big men? Uh, you know, I think we have mentioned kind of need to upgrade that backup center position. I think either a Morris brother makes a lot of sense. Perhaps Derek Favors could be a guy that could be posted from New Orleans. I think would be a nice fit. That's expensive, uh, though. Also- Derek Favors is $16 million for next season. I, th- that's someone I, I looked up to, by the way. Uh, he, he is... Uh, he, I think he is firmly out of the Rockets' price range. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to swing. Um, Jay Crowder is a little cheaper now. He's not a center, but he does play a little bigger. Um, it's not a great option, I guess. But it, that is the thing. It is a limited pool. Uh, but I guess the more important point then is the Rockets need to get the most out of Clint Capella. You know, it seems like he is a guy who is immensely talented, um, but not every night games with the same kind of fervor as a roller and as a screen setter. Um, if he can play this kind of all-star five kind of guy that we think he can be, that he has this potential where he is, you know, the best thing on the court in most series, and he's someone that, you know, isn't getting steamrolled by Anthony Davis in a potential Lakers series, if he can hold sturdy and make some real progression uh, going into the year and really just have a monster end to the season, I think that's really important to the Rockets' playoff folks. We often, I tell don't really talk about Quinn Capella because we think his performance is kind of static. It is to a degree, but I think when you see nights where Capella is really active and destroying teams on the glass, the Rockets are such a more dangerous team. That that is a really good news resolution. That is something that I I actually did not think about, but I think it's really smart. Um, in terms of Clint Capella, like I think that's a great point. Before the season, like I was asking just people, like like who do you think is the most interesting Rocket going into the season? And I I got a bunch of different answers, but I was surprised I didn't hear Clint Capella because that was the most interesting Rocket to me. Uh, in terms of guys who, as you said, may not necessarily... Last season, he, he definitely didn't bring it night in and night out defensively for the Rockets. And I I thought this season, he got it pretty hard from the fans. Like, he, like you, you saw that story about his car getting vandalized, right? After the postseason? Yeah, yeah. So his car got vandalized, uh, and Kelly Eco reported that for The Athletic. And... Um, and it, like in terms of trades, like his like fans were really quick to throw Clint Capella in a trade, like really quick, like without question. Like oh, Clint Capella is the first person that they throw in as a sal- as a possible possible salary filler in a trade. And I just thought that was kind of messed up. Like I like I thought like and I'm not talking about trades for stars. Like it just any sort of trade, any sort of trade, Clint Capella was being shopped around. And I thought I thought I, I was interested to see how Clint Capella would respond to that. Like he was someone. That I thought was kind of being forgotten about, as you said, and he's he's still pretty young, man. He's like twenty five, twenty six, or something. Like he's he's a young player, still has a lot of room to grow. He can still get to another gear. I firmly believe he can. Sure. And in terms of like all star buzz, like 
why can't he make an all-star team? Maybe not this season, but in the future. Like, like what's holding him back from being an all-star? Like, if DeAndre Jordan can make an all-star team, why can't Clint Capella make an all-star team? You know, like, I and Tyson Chandler is someone I think he should really model his career after because that's the kind of player I think he has the ability to become. Tyson Chandler in his prime was just a monster defensively. And in terms of rim protection, Clint Capella still has a lot of a lot of room to grow. And he could really learn a lot from that, like from Tyson. Like Tyson uh, can teach him a lot in that respect. Uh, he, Clint Capella, he's obviously had the ability to switch on the guards for his entire career. Like that's no one's ever had a question about that. It's always been the rim protection, and the and the way the Rockets play defense this year, like rim protection is a priority. Like the Rockets don't switch everything anymore. They they draw back a lot, and Clint Capella has to to protect the rim, and he has to be the first guy there, and um. Yeah, if the Rockets could get more out of him in 2020, that that would be a huge plus. Yeah, certainly. You know, Go ahead. yeah, he's he's just so talented. He he really is a guy who is still growing, and he's so young that I think if he can be the kind of guy as a as a rim protector that the Rockets need to be to have a top ten defense, that'll go a long way to them wanting to make the final. New Year's resolution number two: extend Mike D'Antoni. Now. Mike D'Antoni uh, obviously is is coaching out his final season for the Rockets right now, and uh, according to Warren Legary, his agent, and Daryl Morey, Rockets general manager, uh, talks have stalled and will stall till the summer. I don't believe that. Like I, I, I tend to believe that both parties will get back to the table this season. I, like, I just think like, I've seen too many of these negotiations between coaches and teams. Like, I, 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 I really do believe that the opportunity to return to the table is very much there if they choose to go for it. And, and I think the February All Star break is a pretty good opportunity to get a deal done. Like I, I really do think they need to get a deal done. Like, like I think they can, they need to stop messing around, put up or shut up. Like Mike's a really good coach. You're not gonna, you're probably not gonna get a better coach on the market. And in terms of like importance to the Rockets, like he is so important to their culture, the way they play, obviously offensively, and I think defensively, he's he, he's he's held his own. Like he's not he's not an, obviously not not an elite off defensive coach, but he's. Every press conference when we talk about the Rockets, like the first thing he mentioned is the defense. It's not like he doesn't care about the defense. He's he very much does, but you know, I, I just think he receives a lot of flack from the fan base. But I think, in terms of like, if you're if you're ranking the important coaches of the 2010s, I I don't know how Mike's down the top five or six. Like, I, it would be really hard for you to make a case that he's not. And he, in terms of franchise history, he has the highest winning percentage. He's won 173 games, lost 73. It's it's more than uh, Rudy Tomdanovich, more than Bill Fitch. If he wins 21 more games this year, he's going to be the third most winningest coach in Rockets franchise history in terms of actual number of wins. Like, just 21 games. And that's likely going to happen. Like, I, I think he's pretty underrated by everybody. I think he, I think the Rockets need to do right by him, get an extension done. It doesn't really matter at this point whose fault it is, whether it's Tillman Fertitta's fault, whether it's Daryl Morey's fault, why, why a deal hasn't gone done. Just get it done. There's going to be an opportunity at the, at the February All-Star break when players are gone, and I, I think there's a, a break period there to get something done. And I, I think they should get something done in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think the thing that Mike D'Antoni really has in his back pocket is I, I think the relationship that he has formed with James Harden and, and now in a short time it seems Russell Westbrook the kind of buy-in and trust that he 
seem to generate from every player uh, is something that I think is pretty invaluable. I mean, there people can criticize his rotations and, and certain you know playoff flameouts. I understand that, but as you said, on, on the open market, you know, expecting to find someone who's even close to as good of a coach as Mike D'Antonio seems pretty pretty ludicrous. Um, you know, I, I don't really have much insight as to my optimism that a deal will get done. Um, it, it seems very strange. Um, but I think that D'Antoni is kind of ready to reassess this when he has some downtime. You know, you said it might be all-star break. I honestly think that any kind of thing, uh, new deal won't come until the end of the season. Um, I hope to be wrong about that, but, but that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, moving on to my second resolution. Well, here, hold on, uh, before we oh, get there... No, if you were to rank the coaches that would convince you to commit a Fast and Furious-style heist, would Mike D'Antoni crack the top three? Like, like if, if you were just like, like, which coach can convince me to rob a bank tomorrow? Is, is Mike in the top three? I definitely, I definitely like run through a bank as the new kind of run through a brick wall. I think that's a, a pretty good analogy. Yeah, I think, I think you know, Mike's the kind of guy that really inspires a lot of confidence, uh, whether it be to play really hard on defense, you know, or rob a bank, whichever one you prefer. I think he definitely does qualify, you know, at least near the top three. Okay. All right. Go go on to your second one. Sorry. I, just, I need to get that question answered. I honestly, I think it was the most uh, important question of the podcast. I think that's fair. Um, my, my number two resolution here, uh, I think it's that Westbrook plays his style. Um, now, there are two kind of different connotations with that. There's the Westbrook style, which is him the caricature in OKC, jacking up three-pointers, playing hero ball, you know, really taking his team out of the game in big moments. But there is kind of a version of Westbrook right now that is playing his game in a very different manner. And that's kind of existing outside the rocket shot profile. Uh, he's pretty much refusing to shoot threes of late. You know, he's went, oh, he has four attempts in his last two games. He has a lot of very few attempts games, and he's really reverting back to some mid-range shots. Personally, for Westbrook, I think that these shots, honestly, are pretty smart. He seems to be finding a real rhythm like he did earlier in his Oklahoma City career when he was lethal from that mid-range. And you can see when teams have to creep up a little bit towards him, it really unlocks him towards the rim. I think that Westbrook is one of these lone players that plays with such a singular style uh, that if he plays in a way that is true to himself, it ultimately does unlock a lot of things for the Rockets. When he is kind of being able to hit a few mid-range shots and get the rhythm as he did last night, you know, it really just creates an un, unworkable task for defenses. So I kind of hope Westbrook exists outside the confines of Maury Ball in 2020. Yeah, and personally, I, I am not someone who will double down when I'm wrong. And I, I think this is this is a situation this season where I think I was wrong. Like, I, I think I, I was someone who thought uh, Westbrook shooting three-pointers was much better than him shooting mid-range jumpers. And I still think, you know, mathematically that may be true, but it definitely doesn't seem to be the case when you talk about winning. Like he he seems to just play better in a, in a team system when he's when he's getting to the rim. And I, I feel, it seems like shooting mid range jumpers kind of encourages drives to the rim for him. Like he's one of those few players where like mm-hmm. those two things are correlated. And I, I think I think I might have been wrong there. I, I, I think like it seems like it may not be like an efficient shot, but it's definitely something that gets him going in the right kind of momentum that you want. And I think that's that that's why I think you're more right than I was at the beginning of the season. I, I think him shooting mid range jumpers, kind of existing out of Moribo, as you said, is the right is the right way to do things. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I certainly had skepticism too at the start of the year. I mean, I won't act as a, if I saw 
this so clearly. Um, but I think the thing is, the way to look at it is that if he takes, for instance, three mid-range shots and three layups instead of six three-pointers per game, for instance, I think that's a pretty smart bet for him, not only because he is not a very good three-point shooter, he's not a very natural three-point shooter. It seems like a lot of the triples that he's taking are because he looks down and sees, oh, I'm open, I'm behind the three-point line. It's not really what he wants to do. He'd rather take a few dribbles in. And I just think for a team that, you know, you have a lot of guys that it's hard for them to find their own rhythm because, you know, James Harden obviously has the ball so much. Letting Westbrook take shots that are more in his profile when he gets his opportunities, it's an important thing to make him feel comfortable and ultimately play better. So that's what I would say my number two resolution is for the season. Yeah, and, and I think when, when he has a smaller guy on him, that kind of post-away, fade-away mid-range jumper, like, I think that's pretty... Like, I, I'm curious... If I had synergy stats on that, I would like to see what, what he's shooting on. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get those, but I would like to see what he's shooting on those fa- on those fadeaway mid-range jumpers because I think I think that's a pretty effective shot when, he's, when he has a smaller defender on him. Certainly, yeah. I mean, he really... Uh ate Jamal Murray's lunch on a few possessions last night and he kind of mentioned it post-game and a fun thing about Westbrook is he really, really likes to do it. When he gets a smaller guard, he scores in the post-up, you know, he doesn't rock the baby, you know, as much as he used to, but you can tell, like, he'll get a big, uh, big grin on his face when he gets his chance to post a little guard up. It's very fun. Yeah. My third, my third New Year's resolution for the Rockets this season, add size to the roster. And the, the, the size can come in various different ways. It, it could be in a in a big wing. It could be in like a four or five guy. It could be someone like Marquise Morris, or it could be someone like Jay Crowder, like someone who's just above six six, like in size, like so, someone who's like you know who can play three, four, and five uh, positionally. I, I I think that's the kind of person you would want. I'm essentially saying a second guy who can play PJ Tucker's minutes would really help because I think PJ Tucker has had to play too much. If you look at Basketball Reference, he's playing 25% of its minutes of his minutes this season at the center position. That's entirely too much. Uh, he played six percent of his minutes last season at the center position. Like I, he's that spike is just like there's a reason he's playing much more. It's because the Rockets don't have many more options outside of like Daniel House, Clint Capella. PJ Tucker, like you, I, they have a, an option now with Isaiah Hardenstein, but before then they they were pretty much just stuck with him and Clint Capella at the center at the center spots. Tyson Chandler was not very reliable night to night, and for that reason, I think they need to add some size. Yeah, certainly, and I, I think you honestly uh, improved upon my first resolution. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a center that the Rockets acquire, but I, I think you make a good point. I, a big wing or a traditional big, you know, so to speak, I think are people that the Rockets have to target. I know they do have limited kind of uh, cash considerations, we'll put it that way, and limited flexibility. But if they can land, you know, one or two guys who are even, what, six, eight or bigger, I, I think that's going to, you know, make a difference ultimately and, and definitely be helpful. All right, your, your, your third New Year's resolution? Is it your third, third or your fourth? New Year's resolution. Or is it your phone? Uh, third New Year's resolution. Uh, I think this is number three for me. Okay. Uh, this is a pretty simple one. Um, James Harden breaks the three-point re- single-season three-point record. Wow. Uh, you might say it's a, you might say it's a meaningless statistic. I say you know maybe, but it's pretty darn fun. So he is absolutely uh, just shooting the lights out from three in his past. What is it? Six games, five games here. He's making six threes a game uh, on 11.8 attempts, which is pretty pretty sizable. So Steph Curry holds the record at 402 made threes in a season, right? 
Now, Harden, if he plays 80 games right now at his current pace, he will finish with 404 three-pointers made this season. So right now, you know, it kind of depends on how many games he's able to log. But he is going to come close to the 400-point barrier. He's going to come close to Curry's 402. Uh, and I think it would be kind of fun down the stretch if, you know, he enters his last five games uh, needing some kind of crazy amount of free, needing, you know, 43s or something like that, seeing if he can really gun for the record, uh, I think will be a fun thing to see down the season. He's such a singular scoring talent um, that these records that some people might, you know, not want to talk about, I think are really fun to track. Uh, he also could break Jerry West's single season free throw mark, although he's kind of dipped in that respect. Um, so if he could either set the three-point mark, the free throw mark a little less fun, uh, or some mythical combination of both, uh, would just mark one of the best scoring seasons that we've ever seen. Yeah, that that's that is an ambitious record. It is, but I I do think he can get there. Uh, but if the Rockets start blowing some teams out towards the end of the season, it, it it might get really, it might get really dicey for you, Michael. It might. Sure. I it, think the Western Conference being close helps. Uh, yeah, I think just that they might have to be jockeying for seeding those last four or five games. Uh, might make it where he has to you know really be gunning for it here late. Yeah, and surprisingly, I did not know this until you said this. Well, I, in, until you reminded me of this. Uh, James Harden is shooting the highest three-point percentage of his career other than the third season, which was he was in Oklahoma City and as a bench player. So he's, he's shooting 38.3% from three, which is just on 13 and a half three-pointer, uh, three-pointers attempted. That's just, that's just dumb. That's just it doesn't make any sense to me. Like shooting thirteen and a half three pointers per game is already stupid, but shooting thirty eight point three percent that that's that's just like it's idiotic. That 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 shouldn't be allowed. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's shooting forty two percent. So he he kind of scuffled out of the gate, right? So after his first five games, we can just kind of throw that away as you know it just is a slow start. He's shooting forty two percent from three. So it's from the second game in November, which seems like you know a year ago. Shooting forty-two percent from three, which is just pretty pretty ridiculous, if you ask me. Yeah, that's like clay percentages, right? Like that—that's that, that—that's just that's just dumb. It's just dumb. New Year's resolution number four for me: pay the luxury tax. If you if the Rockets are going to be serious as, as just an organization moving forward, like they can probably still be a title contender and dodge the tax this season. Like there are some gymnastics that they can do. Probably uh, it's going to be tough. Like like they made it really tough on themselves with this Chris Clemens contract. But if there is if they want to be a serious organization moving forward, they need to pay the tax. They just do. In twenty twenty, they need to pay the tax this season. Like even if it's like a symbolic gesture, even if you get someone that gets that puts you slightly above the tax, you're really not that deep into it, but you're paying the tax. That's enough. It's a symbol to the fans. Like money is is not a priority for us. Like we are, we care about winning. We care about uh, winning an NBA championship. We have James Harden's prime. We're not going to cut any pennies here. Uh, and I I think that's kind of that's kind of the message you want to send to the fan base. Like like. The most serious message that Tillman Fertitta can send, like like he's had a pretty rough go of things the past six months. The best way you can build any sort of goodwill with the fan base is by paying luxury tax. That's it. Actions speak louder than words. If you pay the tax this season, it would go such a long way with the fan base and with other players. Like players are dumb. They know who the cheap owners in the NBA are. Like that that stuff moves around. And like the kind of penny pinching the Rockets did at the last 
trade deadline where they basically gave away James Ennis and a couple first round, second round picks. They salary dumped Carmelo. They salary dumped Michael Carter Williams. Like, and, and a lot of stuff that they didn't have to do just to pretty much barely dodge the tax last season. Uh, they, they can't do that. Like, if they give up second round draft picks to dump a contract this season without receiving anyone of significance back, that's a really rough look. Now, I, I know they're going to have to trade Nene because paying Nene his second year salary is going to, they, they, no organization is willing to do that. That's just, that's just dumb. Like, like they, they have to trade Nene. But if they don't, if they don't take advantage of that opportunity and try to get something back in that kind of a trade, like, it's, it's going to be a really rough look for them. It really, and it's one of those things where if you dodge the luxury tax in, in consecutive seasons as a title contender, Fewer things give you a, a black mark as an NBA owner. Yeah, it, it's really not a good look. You're, you're exactly right. Um, it's something that I think they ultimately will. I mean, I guess I'm hopeful that they will. Um, just to give this team a better chance uh, of truly being whole uh, come title season. You know, you never want to be a team or an organization that uh, is just being hamstrung by your pocketbook. You know, these are professional organizations and you know, the best ones and the ones that compete for titles consistently are ones that are able to, uh, if not embrace, at least accept the luxury tax and, um, you know, really do their best to, to make sure their teams are in a place to win championships or at least compete for them. Um, we'll see. I, I think they will go into the tax after they make a move. That, that's my official prediction. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to I'm gonna hold you to that. That That, that is a bold... Yeah, uh, I I don't think it's too optimistic. I, I I think it's I think it's literally asking the bare minimum, right? Uh, this is like the, this is something you have to do at this kind of a stage of of a title. Like like before you had the luxury of of having guys who didn't have to get paid as much. Now you do, and now and now you have to just kind of prove that you're all in. You don't want to become Robert Sarver. You just don't. You, you don't you don't want to become the the guy who uh, brings goats into his general manager's office and 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 you know poops all over the place. You do, you don't want to do that. Not what you want. Not what you want. Uh, do you want one more uh, resolution from here? Yes, yes, that would be great. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Uh, pretty simple. We get Rockets Clippers. Uh, I think it could be like the best rivalry in the NBA. Now that we don't really. Uh, have one set and secure. You know, Austin Rivers actually, uh, we were in Phoenix a couple weeks ago, we played the Suns, and I, I was talking to him uh, after that Clippers win, and he said, you know, if that series goes seven, it's going to be wild. There could be adjustments, it'll be very competitive, it'll get kind of crazy. You know, he said that there is some um, real competitive animosity, there's some familial storylines, which is fun. I mean, these teams in the three games, it's been pretty tense throughout uh, and the basketball itself has been very fun. I like the idea of two dynamic duos kind of squaring off against one each other. Uh, and their teams that know each other will get Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook. The James Harden point happened in Los Angeles last time. Uh, maybe we'll get another fun gift like that. I just think it really is uh, one of the most fun playoff series we can get, uh, whether it be you know in round two or conference finals. I think it's something that just I, I really do want to see. That's definitely the series I want to see the most for sure. It's like we've had so much drama in the three matchups we've already had with these two teams, whether it be a timeout that wasn't given to the Clippers or the Patrick Beverly, uh, Russell Westbrook continuing feud that just 
manages to be the most entertaining thing in the NBA year in and year out. The the, the relations between these two teams. I mean, like th- this is a team that shares many former players with each other. Like the Rockets uh, obviously made that big trade for Chris Paul. Like they 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 had Montrez Harrell and Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams on their roster, and um, that kind of stuff just adds fuel to the the fire. It, it, it's it's like one of the most entertaining matchups by far and it's also like a really compelling basketball matchup like the fact that the clip the clippers are so versatile defensively and that they can throw a trap at harden that involves Kawhi leonard and paul george that's just like that that's just really compelling if you're a basketball fan and the fact that you see patrick beverly guarding harden like out of position like that that's pretty cool i think that's really creative for doc to do as a coach i i'd be interested to see if the if the clippers throw Kawhi on Harden at any point in a play in a Clippers Rocket series like that like they haven't done that yet but it, it, it's something I, w- I would look to see in a possible playoff matchup because like th- that's that's their ace in the hole right like that's that's something that would be obviously really entertaining and something that we have no idea how it's gonna look we saw it with the Spurs but we haven't seen it with this specific Clippers team and with this James Harden like this James Harden is just much better than when when Kawhi Leonard was was a spur, right? Like like we he's just a totally different player. So I want to see that matchup. I want to see the the endless theatrics between these two teams. Uh, like like both of these teams know how to talk. Austin Rivers can talk. Like uh, like Austin Rivers can talk. Uh, Patrick Beverly can talk. Montrez Harrell can talk. Like like these the both these teams know how to yap, and that 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 j- is just something we haven't seen in the NBA since like Clippers Warriors, uh, which was. One of the more underrated rivalries in the NBA, like literally five years ago. We haven't had that kind of rivalry in a long time. No, for sure. I think that just the, the familiar faces, I think, is just so funny that these teams have kind of just like flip flop their rosters. I think is very fun. And, and there are guys like Kawhi and James Harden who are just so different from when they originally faced off. Um, I think seeing Kawhi at full speed is a very scary proposition for the Rockets. You know, you kind of saw what Kawhi did to the Lakers on Christmas Day. That's kind of a terrifying thing, you know, uh, for each and a half to face. Uh, but I think while it's probably not the best matchup, uh, well, I guess Rockets fans would say it, it might not be the worst matchup. It would be a difficult series for the Rockets, uh, but it would certainly be an entertaining one uh, nonetheless, even if the Rockets were to be underdogs. And it is a big test, right? For guys like Daniel House... Like for guys like Daniel House, like I mean, what bigger test are you going to find in terms of defense? Like, he, like he's having to guard uh, one of Kawhi Leonard or, or Paul George at all times. Uh, that's a lot to ask of a of a twenty six year old, and I think he's he's up for it. Like I, I think he embraces that kind of a challenge. Like seeing PJ Tucker guard Kawhi Leonard and refuse to switch, refuse to switch. Like the the Clippers tried endlessly to pick him off, and he would just fight around around screens all day to get back to Kawhi. Like that's fun to me. Obviously, the the Doc and Austin dynamic is is hilarious. Like they, they I I think it's good natured. Like I think they obviously there's no ill will towards like towards either party. It's it's just, it's just Hope not. yeah. It's I I don't think so. But it, it's just endlessly entertaining. Like that they I think they played up for TV too. They like Austin knows he's Austin definitely knows he's on TV, uh, and he and he makes the most of it. And uh, it, it's it's fun. It's fun. Uh, it's definitely a matchup I would like to see in the playoffs too. Well, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that was a strong list from you, and I I think I did pretty okay. I did. I think I did all right. I thought so. Yeah. 
Well, this was strong. Uh, this is we went an hour long. Can you believe that we went an hour long, Michael Shapiro? Flew by. Yeah, I I I had no idea until I checked right now. Um, so where can we follow you on Twitter, and where can we find all your work? Yeah, you guys can follow me at mshap2 on Twitter, uh, and you can follow my work with Sports Illustrated at si.com slash nba slash rockets. All right, that was Michael Shapiro. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at NBA. Follow podcast on Twitter at Red Nation Noobs. Give us five stars on iTunes if you're new to the show. Uh, and yeah, guys, good night.